Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. This can be found on page 966 of your pew Bible if you wish to follow along. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as you said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The word of the Lord. Are there any more encounters with Jesus left to be had? I mean, after all, he's been put to death on the cross and buried in a tomb. Isn't this the end? Apparently not. For a supposed dead man, there are a lot of people who have been having a lot of encounters with this man for a long time, over the centuries. I'm not sure that Mary Magdalene thought there was anything more to encounter in Jesus when she and that other Mary went to the tomb early that morning. You read the four different accounts of the empty tomb in the Gospels and the Scriptures, and we find there are significant differences. Scientifically, rationally conditioned people like, like us like to then kind of break down the stories and, and work on explanations for the differences. Historical facts matter. We, uh, we need to ask questions. We need to see what presents itself. And there's a place and a time for that. But that won't be this sermon. But let's affirm that the one thing believer and even skeptic of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and anyone in between, let's affirm that the one thing we can agree on is that something Now, what that something is will vary from person to person, but let's agree, at least, at the very least, something happened. And let's affirm that the first Christians refused to hide the differences in those four accounts. They didn't try to clean it up. The message that the tomb was empty and Christ is seen alive is protected and consistent the details about what was experienced are not. And though there are differences in the details, one of the consistencies in all four Gospels you will find is the women. 
women were not regarded as reliable witnesses in Jewish courts in the first century and for centuries to come after that. And for the women to be the eyewitnesses for this and for them to be the ones to tell it doesn't add up if you want to make it credible. That is a strange part of the story if you're making it up, the women. But the gospel writers did not seem to be making it up or trying to write to impress outsiders. One woman in particular is highlighted, and that's Mary Magdalene. Matthew tells us that along with the Roman soldiers and along with all the hostile crowds that were at the cross of Jesus, there were also a group of women who were looking on from a distance. And these women had followed Jesus from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and they'd provided for him for at least a couple of years. And he names Mary Magdalene as being one of them. And then he tells us that Mary Magdalene, as well as another Mary, who is the mother of James and uh, Joseph, they were sitting opposite the tomb when Joseph of Arimathea buried Jesus in the tomb and buries his body. And now Mary Magdalene and this other Mary have come at the break of day to the tomb of Jesus. Mary Magdalene is highlighted in all four Gospels. And Magdalene is not her last name. That's not on her driver's license because of that. Magdalene has, refers to the village that she was from, a small village in Galilee called Magdala. Uh, it is uh, where uh, some of us who visited the Holy Land last fall from this church, we went to Magdala, which has just been recently discovered uh, in archaeological terms just a few years ago. Some just fascinating discoveries are being made as excavations take place in Magdala. And we ended our entire trip uh, in the Holy Land by sharing communion in Magdala on the shores of the Sea of Galilee on our last evening. Well, Luke tells us that Mary Magdalene became a disciple of Jesus Christ after seven demons were cast out of her. Now, whatever that means and whatever that was like, Mary didn't come from a smooth, struggle-free background. She probably didn't come from a pure, religiously refined background. She had probably suffered, probably knew hardship in life. I imagine her to be someone a little rough around the edges, smoker's hack, maybe a little uh, tough even. Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that there were women disciples of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene is mentioned as the first in every list of these disciples, female disciples of Jesus. And it may be that she was the leader of this group of women who followed and served Jesus throughout his ministry. Jesus traveled, he carried out his ministry. It was the women who took responsibility, we're told. It was the women who took responsibility for the practical needs of Jesus. And it says they, they provided for Jesus out of their own resources. Did not the inner circle of the twelve do this? Men are so cheap. The twelve disciples, they get windows in cathedrals. They get banners hung. They get things named after them. They get lots of press as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but they were not the ones who kept with Jesus when the things got toughest and when they got most serious. It was some women, and particularly Mary Magdalene, who remained and kept watch with Jesus. 
says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, I know we think of the tomb as, as empty and as a place of wonder and victory. I mean, today we have flowers and, and we have glorious music and, and we have egg casseroles. But remember, it didn't start that way. The tomb was a place of death. It was a place of sadness. It was a place of failed hopes. Have you been there? You go to that place, you really would rather not. The courtroom, the hospital, the mortuary, that place, scene of something painful because you know what it stands for and what awaits you there. Mary Magdalene gets up early in the morning and she returns to the place of death. Just like she kept with Jesus through the hard travel back and forth of Jerusalem and Galilee, just like she hung with him as he suffered in that gory death, just as she saw him buried, so now she comes to the tomb. And you wonder how long she can keep taking it. Why not just abandon ship and head back to Galilee? Because this story is over. Everyone else has left. There's a writer named Jill Duffield who, who wonders, what is it about Mary Magdalene? What is it about this other Mary that keeps them showing up, even in the most heart-breaking seasons, even when their own hearts are just broken? It is surely this. They love Jesus. They love Jesus, and their love for him compels them to face death head on even when the most of the rest of us are so consumed with hopelessness that we can't get up as the day dawns. We simply can't face what the light of the morning reveals. So we don't go to the tomb or the hospital or the refugee camp or the prison. But the Marys do. Even though their hearts are broken at the magnitude of the suffering and the loss that they have witnessed, they keep showing up despite the pain and the loss because they love Jesus. And because of their persevering love and their enduring faithfulness, they get to see. Matthew gives us an earthquake. He gives us an angel with lightning bright appearance. Other gospels have some of the same things, but then other stuff that is different. Something happens. And, of course, the something that the accounts testify to is that Jesus was raised. Mary Magdalene receives the first announcement. She receives the first vision. She receives the first instructions. The angel tells her, don't be afraid. Jesus, the same Jesus who was crucified, is not here. He has been raised. Don't take my word for it. Come and see the place where you saw that he was laid in a tomb. See for yourself. Go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised, and they will see him in Galilee. As they run to tell the disciples, they do so, it says, with fear and great joy. That's how Matthew puts it. Read it. Fear and joy. How can someone experience fear and joy at the same time? Remember the day you got married? Remember the birth of your child? 
Maybe that first day in the new job in the big company. And twice Mary is told, do not be afraid. But if dead bodies have been raised, is it irrational to have fear? This is outside normal experience. This is not what anybody was looking for, not what anybody expected. One of the things the gospel accounts honors is that this was not a particularly romantic or orderly experience. The fear is acknowledged. Real human emotion is honored. But do not be afraid because Jesus can keep showing up in the places of pain and grief. You know, the Christian claim is that the gospel was started because of eyewitnesses, not because of mystical experiences. Really, given the magnitude of this event, it's pretty understated if you read it. There's an angel or two, but there's, there's no angel choirs at Jesus, like at Jesus' birth. And there are no blaring trumpets announcing to everybody to, to know what has happened. And, and Jesus doesn't start a big show and, and appearing everywhere with thunder and lightning so that everybody all over Jerusalem can see him. None of that. A couple of women, one of whom is Mary Magdalene, are told, you will see him. And when Jesus is seen, he's pretty low-key about it all. And Mary gets to see it first. She sees it. She hears it. She gets charged with the one to preach it. Jesus will appear to others. He'll speak to others. Others will hear as well. But Mary Magdalene is the primary first chosen witness. Mary Magdalene is faithful. She just, she just hangs around and keeps showing up in this story. She hangs around as Jesus goes about doing his stuff. She shows up when Jesus dies. She shows up when he's buried. She shows up at the tomb as hard and filled with grief as that day was. You know, we don't see the crowds of Palm Sunday. We, we don't see the disciples. We don't see anybody who was healed by Jesus. Where are they? We don't see Joseph of Ar good Joseph of Arimathea who put the body in the tomb and then he sealed it up and he went away. Mary Magdalene is there, and she gets to see. Woody Allen was famous for saying that about 80% of success in life is just showing up. I wonder if we can translate that spiritually and say, you know, 80% of life with Jesus is just showing up. Mary Magdalene just keeps showing. I don't fish, but I suppose it was a wise fisherman who said, you know, you can't catch fish without being near the water. You, we just show up. We show up to worship on those cold, hard, snowy mornings or after a long week on Sunday. We drag ourselves to the care group or to the Bible study when we're just drained from a long day. We go to the rescue mission. We go to St. Vincent Soup Kitchen, and we'd rather be with our friends who are going to the theater. We go to our prayer closet again, even though we just feel dry. We visit the care center and that elderly saint who doesn't even know us anymore, despite, despite that, despite the memories of past hard experiences, because we're just trying to do what Jesus told us to do, to show up again. You know, faithfulness doesn't mean we have to do anything splashy or anything particularly worthy of the spotlight. That's not what faithfulness is. 
Faithfulness is more often than not just showing up for our Lord. Doing what we think we should do for Jesus, like Mary Magdalene. Those of you who came here Friday night on Good Friday, not a popular night to come. There were no flowers, were there? There were no things to hang. Those of you who came, because you showed up, you were invited and you knew that we went right after that service over to Mel Reynolds' house, a young woman in this church who has terminal cancer and she's in her last days or weeks, and, and we went to their backyard. You were able to be part of that backyard gathering where we just prayed and sang for a few minutes for her and her family, lifting up her up to God. And I think everybody who was there was grateful and glad that we did that and that you were able to be there. Just showing up. You came Friday night, and you didn't even know that was going to happen. We had, a, we had one couple who did know, and they postponed a trip. They were going to drive somewhere that day, the family, and they said, no, we're going to wait, and we're going to be a part of that. We went and prayed and sang for Mel. By the way, that's a story that will end in resurrection, too. We're told that those first people in Jerusalem and Galilee had visible, tangible encounters with the risen Lord. Not a special edition Jesus, but the Jesus they, they had always known, who looked like the Jesus that they had always seen. And you know, I, th I think to myself, why didn't they? It, or, or if they didn't see that, then why would they just face the danger and, they di and the death as so many did if it was alive as something that they just made up? And, and I think, well, what, why would the authorities have treated these Christians in that time so badly uh, with, with brutality just for saying, well, we've seen someone alive who everybody knows is dead. I mean, if they knew that he was really dead. Why would the authorities get riled up further? People might have called those who proclaimed the resurrection and were saying this crazy. They might say we need to just ignore them or that they saw some kind of ghost or apparition, but wouldn't would there be a reason to arrest them and, and torture and, and, and treat them so harshly? And maybe it's just me, but I don't think the message and the event of the resurrection could have been spoken in the streets and the places of Jerusalem if people could have located a tomb and a body. Apparently no one could and no one did. And remember, the message of the early church was not there's an empty tomb. That was not the message. They proclaimed Jesus Christ risen, alive, seen, touched, speaking, present. You don't need to talk about an empty room if that person's not there anymore. But even with all of that, even if I could think about rational things for Jesus' resurrection, still, still, one needs to have faith. There are people who acknowledge the credibility of historical reasons for what happened, and they don't follow Jesus. There are people who hear the message and say, okay, but their lives are not impacted. Jesus said this, there is a blessing for those who believe even if they have not seen. Well, welcome to the not seen club. Peter writes to those, um, I want to go back when Jesus said that. Um, Jesus, he, he, he was with his disciples. Um, he, he appears to uh, the skeptic of all skeptics, Thomas. And, and he says, uh, 
Thomas, because even disciples can be skeptics, and, and he says, Thomas, uh, great, you got to see me and handle me. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have come to believe. There is blessing in believing even if we don't get to see the risen body of Jesus and yet have faith that Christ has been raised and is alive and is active and present in our lives. Maybe we're blessed because Jesus knew how hard this would be. And Peter writes something just like this. Peter writes to those who do not have the experience of seeing the risen Lord. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your soul. No, I don't see him now. But that's how faith is worked out. Faith is a journey, and faith is growth, and it is blessed. The Lord says, blessed are you if you didn't get to see. Faith opens the door to our own encounter with Jesus. How, where have you encountered Jesus? What is your encounter with Jesus? I'll say this. The ones in the biblical story who see Jesus are those who believe who showed themselves to be disciples, followers, worshipers. They're the ones who Jesus goes to and shows himself to, and he still shows himself to those who are open to his presence. Sometimes we just have to be like Mary Magdalene and in life and in death, faithfully, relentlessly, just keep showing up. So, Lord, help us to follow the faithfulness of Mary Magdalene who came to that tomb in grief and left in faith. And Jesus, give us the courage and the faith and the spiritual fortitude to keep hanging around so that you can make yourself known to us. Help us to just show up. We long to see and know your life in this world that looks so much like a sealed tomb. We acknowledge you as the risen Lord. Help us to believe and to see in your great, strong, precious name we pray. Amen.